All right, for those who will remain with us here in this auditorium, and for those who would be listening outside these walls, you're listening to the services of the Burnfield Baptist Church, and this is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message I've entitled just very simply, The Meaning of Discipleship. The Meaning of Discipleship, and we invite you to study alongside with us here. You'll be able to find our passage of study in Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. All right, I'll read together with you beginning in verse number 24. Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 24. The Lord saying to those that he would send out, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men. Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I'm, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Lord, I pray that you will bless our time of studying your word. Give me clarity as I hide behind the cross this morning, Lord. I pray that Jesus would take precedent, take the foremost of what's said and done here in our midst. Lord, I do ask for your strength, for your help, for divine utterance. Lord, I pray that you would give me unction from the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the message and song that has stirred our heart to set our affections on things above not on things on the earth. Lord, I do pray that you would help uh, calm our fears all around us, Lord. May we be vessels of your peace, understanding what that means. 
And also understanding that in some ways you said you came not to send peace, but a sword. When someone is confronted with you, Lord, there's a division that must happen. We must turn our back on the ways of the world and this world system to turn to you because you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to get to the Father but by you. That's very narrow, Lord. That's very, it can be very divisive because of how constricted that pathway is. But Lord, it is the way of hope. It is the way of life. And few there be that find it. But those that find it, find it to be sweet. They find it to be full of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And Lord, I do pray for the filling and power of the Holy Spirit in our assembly here this morning. That we would know that we've met with you when we've when we have left this place or else Lord I'm just sounding brass and tinkling cymbal if if the love of God is not taking precedent through all that's said and done do set a watch over my mouth guard my heart Lord there's many things in there that would detract from what you would do Lord I pray that as I bring those to the foot of the cross and in my infirmity and my weakness Lord I pray that your strength would prevail, that you would be strong in our midst, and that we would have only that which would glorify and magnify you to be in our contemplation and our meditation of your word this morning. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, we cast ourselves upon him, for he cares for us. We ask these things in his precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. There was a pastor one time that was talking with uh, one of his county leaders where he lived in and uh, he said, well, pastor, you've got to face it. Your group out there, uh, it intimidates an awful lot of people. You're claiming Jesus to be the only way. Well, that makes a bunch of people feel pretty uncomfortable. You're going to have some enemies. Well, he's right. I think that uh, that, that county leader understood some things about a church that was preaching the gospel and preaching that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. And it's inevitable that as we proclaim that message, there will be those that refuse that message, that do not agree with the Bible. I didn't say they don't agree with us, because if we're in agreement with the Bible, I'm not the one that said the way was narrow. I'm only repeating what the Bible says about the narrow way. It's inevitable that we wind up with opposition. If, if we are the light that we should be, then we're going to cause people who are living in darkness to feel uncomfortable. And may that never change because it's in that place of uncomfortableness that we decide we want to change. We want to come to Jesus. We want transformation. And Jesus, in essence, in our study, in our passage, if I could just paraphrase it, he's saying there's going to be some severance. There's going to be some tension. There's going to be some difficulty. If you're going to stand up for the Lord, if you're going to live for Him in this day and time, but if you value your family, if you value your friendships more than you value Christ, then you're not worthy to follow in His steps. You're not worthy to take that cross and to die to yourself. The meaning of discipleship. How our generation needs to hear this, doesn't it? 
Uh, well, let's look back over the past decades. You know, in the 60s, the goal was find yourself. How many of you remember that? I don't know. I wasn't even born then. But uh, they tell me that the goal in the 60s was to find yourself. Well, did you find yourself? <laughs> That's my question. Uh, tried that. And I don't think we found ourselves through the 60s. In the 70s, the goal was, hey, improve yourself. Remember that swing? I came in in the end of that, so I don't really remember any of it. I was, I was just a, an infant in the latter part of the 70s. My wife still makes fun of me for that, saying that I was born in the 70s, uh, just before the 80s, right? Um, the goal was improve yourself. And, and, I mean, how many courses can you find uh, that were copyrighted in the 1970s? How many seminars were people going to back in those days? Health spas. Uh, improve yourself. Did that work? Did it work? People, uh, they weren't happy. After they couldn't find themselves and they couldn't improve themselves, well, then comes along the 80s, right? What was the goal of the 80s? Well, it was summarized by one writer as serve yourself. Okay, we couldn't find ourselves. We couldn't improve ourselves, so I'll just serve myself instead. This is the 80s was serve yourself, and I grew up in the, in the 80s. Uh, that was my childhood. And as our nation grew more and more materialistic, it became less and less fulfilled. Less and less fulfilled. So then the 90s, 90s came in, and that was when I was in high school. Tragic time in my life. Yeah, the 90s were not kind to me. <coughs> But uh, the 90s, what was the goal there? Express yourself. Express yourself. But even as communication grew, remember those bricks we used to carry around and we called them cell phones? Yeah. Communication grew. Now we have you know, smart devices. They've got more computing power here than they had when they put uh, the man on the moon, right? Right in my pocket right here. Communication grows by leaps and bounds, but the messages we sent and, re- and received, it only brought more confusion. We were to express ourselves. But can I give you a principle that transcends every generation that Jesus teaches us right here when we consider what the meaning of true discipleship is? Here's that message. It's not good enough to try to find yourself or improve yourself. And there's there's times and places for that. Or serving yourself or expressing yourself. What Jesus teaches us to do, friend, is to die to ourselves. And that is what it means to be a disciple, to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Discipleship, disciple making, is this not the central work of the people that follow Jesus? The people that would be uh, who we would say, that's the church, that's the real genuine church, they're following Jesus. We work and we try to bring men, we try to bring women to a saving relationship With Jesus Christ, we try to then uh, help them follow him and believers baptism and it doesn't stop there. That's only the beginning because we we want to sit down with them and help them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Bible to be able to grow in their likeness, to be able to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ who died for them. It's what Paul called the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of of the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter number 10 and verses 24 to 39, I have quite the task ahead of me because we have a lot of ground to cover in these verses. But I think that uh, this is where the Lord wanted us to be today because as I was reading, maybe these words lingered in your mind and maybe because of the repetition of them, 
your heart was comforted a little bit when Jesus said, fear not, fear them not, fear not, fear them not. Over and over again in this passage, Jesus is dealing with the legitimate fears that his disciples will face. And as we think about the meaning of discipleship, giving it all for Jesus, committing unto him and saying, I will take up my cross and I will follow him. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means and what it doesn't mean momentarily, uh, Lord willing. Florence Nightingale, she wrote in her diary, I am 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began his mission. Now, no more childish things, no more vain things. Years later, near the end of her heroic life of service, she was asked the secret of her ability to accomplish so much for the Lord. This was her response. I quote, I can give only one explanation, and that is this. I have kept nothing back from God, end quote. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Keeping nothing back for myself, dying to myself, living for Him, living for Jesus. Howard H. Uh, Howard A. Kelly, he graduated from medical school, he wrote in his diary, Today I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities, my ambition, everything to Him. Blessed Lord, sanctify me to Thy uses. Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to my Savior. Wouldn't to God we had more medical doctors that could write that in their diary upon graduation. Soon after graduating from college, Jim Elliott, he wrote in his diary, he said this, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Did God answer Jim Elliott's prayer? In powerful ways he did. God answered that prayer. The flower of young manhood, Jim Elliott's life, was cut short by the spear of an Alka Indian as he and several other young men sought to take the gospel deep into the jungles of Ecuador. We could go on. I could give you example after example. I could give you some excerpts from our own uh, first president of our country. I was... I was... Uh, I don't want to say surprised because I shouldn't be surprised to see anything less than what I encountered when I went to his memorial and his gravesite. I went to where his body lays, and I thought, here, here is the shell, the, the, the mode of transportation that this great general used as he led our country in its fight for independence. Not knowing the outcome when he began, trusting God all the way. And I looked over where he and his dear wife lay, and on the wall in the back, a placard that quotes John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I took a picture. In fact, I had to ask the, uh, the, the person guarding the tomb there if I could go beyond the chain to get past the bars, because the first pictures I, I took had bars blocking the words, and so I said, can I just go close enough to get a shot of the whole plaque without any bars in the way, and she let me go up and stick my phone in there and get a shot, so I got a picture of the plaque. John 11, 25 and 26. That verse, if you don't remember, is the one that talks about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And the faith that our, our founding fathers had, we are a Christian nation, were when we were founded a Christian nation. We have wandered from our moorings. 
But boy, we could go on, could we not? We could talk about person after person that we would study and read about, biography after biography, good Christian biography of people that gave themselves. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, we might say some things about him and his dedication to Christ. But what about us here today? As we approach Matthew chapter number 10, Jesus tells us how to have enough in life. You want to know how to have enough? It's enough. For you to be like him. It's enough for you to follow in the footsteps of your Savior. And he'll make sure that as Jim Elliot prayed, your life can be full to the fullest. And you can say with the psalmist, my cup runneth over. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of sweet fellowship with him. Now, Jesus, just to give us the context here in Matthew chapter number 10, this is the second of his major discourses that Matthew records. There are five throughout his gospel. We have looked in detail at the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm amazed every time I study this passage how the correlation to the Sermon on the Mount keeps coming back. And laying that foundation of the Sermon on the Mount helped me understand Matthew chapter 10 so much better. This is the first time that Jesus will call his disciples to him as opposed to the Sermon on the Mount, the so-called Sermon on the Mount. The disciples went of their own accord and and Jesus sat and he taught them. Here he calls them aside. He calls them to himself. And he says, here's your mission. Go. And we talked about the audience. They are to preach to Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They are to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've talked about the time and the administration of that message. But as we read through Matthew chapter number 10, we, uh, we, we take note that the gospel begins with Israel, but it moves to the rest of the earth and moves out to the, to the four corners of the earth. And uh, the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth, eventually through his disciples. Now keep in mind this list of men. We read the 12 names. We know one of them will uh, betray him. But out of the 11 that remain, that stay faithful, uh, we know that we can read little snippets about how they ended their life. And they ended it following the footsteps of their Savior, with the exception, tradition tells us, of John the Beloved, who, if you want to call, being boiled in a vat of oil and surviving that with scars for the rest of your life, not a, a death of martyrdom, dying of natural causes. I don't know. I might, I might disagree with you that he died of natural causes and the shock and the toll that that would take the trauma that his body would go through. And yet... Uh, he did outlive the others, and even Peter had a question about that to the Lord, didn't he? And the Lord said, it's not for you to worry about that, Peter. You just do what I've called you to do, and, and let me take care of John. I'm paraphrasing, but that's how he comforted Peter with that. These men are going to go on for ministry for the Lord. And you read about how each one ended their life. They laid their life down for what they believed about Jesus and how they followed him. And uh, throughout the remainder of this chapter, all the way down through verse 42, Jesus is going to give us one of the most comprehensive definitions of discipleship that we could ever find. But I thought, how appropriate, Lord, that you would lead my heart, my mind, and our course of study and our course of preaching through this blessed book that you already knew coronavirus, you already knew COVID-19 would come on this Sunday, you already knew ahead of time that the community center would close and we wouldn't be able to gather there. You already knew that we would be able to find a place carved out in North Glen, a different city, a sister city with a sister church, and we'd be able to preach it where you already knew the fear that would be plaguing our nation. 
and the uncertainty that stands before us as we enter into this new week. God's going to give us a new a new week. You see, uh, whether I'm here or not tomorrow, the sun's still going to rise. And God's still in control. And He sits on the circle of the earth. And throughout this passage, He says, Fear them not, therefore. Fear not them which kill the body. There is one that you must fear. But fear ye not, therefore. You're of more value. Don't be afraid. If I see one resounding theme to comfort our hearts throughout this message as we talk about following Jesus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, nothing, nothing about me, okay? I'm not saying this to boast about me. I'm nothing. I humble myself before the Lord and I thank Him. But I had to deal with this three weeks ago. Would I let fear stop me from doing what I knew God had opened the door for me to do? Had I let fear stand in the way, then I would have stayed home, friends. I would have never got to travel to the Philippines. I would have never got to go preaching classroom after classroom and see child after child raise their hand to make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. I would have stayed home in fear, cowering, and I would have never gotten on a plane to take me out to our nation's capital to go stand with other pastors shoulder to shoulder to approach our congressmen and congresswomen and to say, we're praying for you. We honor your office. Here is something to let you know that through this difficult time, we're praying. We haven't gone anywhere. And to see the tremendous response from those that we were able to visit. Not, fear would have debilitated me from any of that. And I would have gotten to heaven, I would have stood before the Lord, and I would have given an account for that. Now I still will give an account. For instance, uh, you know, there is a, an incubation period where you can walk around with the virus and not know you have it. If that's the case, then uh, there's a chance that I, I could have passed it on to someone. But um, I have to give that to the Lord and trust that the measures that I'm taking to uh, protect those around me are going, going to work. Uh, you know, and this is where, okay, how much fear is, how much fear do we need to live with in our lives? You might have shaken hands with somebody who shook 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 hands that, that might have, you know, said the name COVID-19. That, okay, I don't want to downplay because they're, they're, it's serious when someone contracts it and, uh, and it brings devastation. But if I hear another joke about toilet paper, my soul. I am toilet papered out of all the jokes. If I, I'm telling you, if I hear another person compare with the flu and how much more devastating the flu has been, I'm, people are saying the same thing everywhere you go, friend. And I'll tell you, as I traveled from point A to point B, you know what I heard people talking about? After making a mockery of how everybody is in such panic and fear about all of this that's going on and it's debilitating and people are so selfishly fighting over stuff at the store and then me first, me first, me first, get out of my way and it's all about me and mine and the attitude and the mentality people have, it's heartbreaking. To see, uh, not necessarily, you know, my heart breaks for the families that are dealing with this firsthand. But it's even heartbreaking for me to consider how people are treating each other. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, friend. 
Just the tip of the iceberg. Now, do not mistake me. We are in a state of national emergency. And I do not minimize that. It is serious. But I think the irresponsibility of the media has brought fear that ought not be. And people are afraid of looking at something the wrong way. And if they hear that you're even, you know, anywhere close to a tarmac, oh, we're all going to die. I'm telling you, as I was in, as I was in my room, I would pray in the morning. I'd open my my goal is to open my eyes, and the first thing I see is the Bible. Okay, I I, I just I try to do that. Am I faithful every day? No, but every day that I can make it, I open my eyes, and the first thing I want to see is the Scripture. I want to put my eyes on the Word of God. And I'm so thankful that I have that because I would do that, and then I would. I would get ready and go down to the cafeteria and I would sit down to eat my breakfast. And if I could make it out of my room door without the news being turned on, that's another that's another story there. But as soon as I would sit down at the table, inevitably, I can't pick, pick which channel is up there. So they have it on CNN or you know the critical news network or whatever. Then they have that they have that plan. I'm telling you, by the time I got done with breakfast, I was ready to crawl in a hole and die. And they're showing pictures of of the you know the places where I'm about to go visit, and they're saying it's a ghost town. There's nobody there, and uh, tumbleweed you know rolling around in the background. They only show you the 15 seconds that they you know excerpt out, and they want to make it look like it's doomsday and Jonestown the day after. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk into this, and I don't know what I'm going to encounter. And I get in the the train, and guess what? I'm not the only one in the train. There's tons of people in the train. I get downtown into the into the mall area. There's people everywhere. I'm thinking, this doesn't add up. They both can't be right. They both can't be right. There are two messages that you will face each day you get up. There is a biblical worldview and there's a Christian worldview. And if you're not careful, friend, the the uh, I'm sorry, the, the worldview of the world and then the biblical worldview, let me say that right. And if you're not careful, what the world is saying will drown out the biblical worldview. And it'll be over before you even begin. Had I let fear debilitate me, then I wouldn't have moved forward. And if we stop and lay down right now and die before we're dead, we'll do nothing. We'll accomplish nothing. I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. Take measures to protect yourself. If you feel like you should quarantine, quarantine. By all means, be safe. But... Let's get on with life, amen? Let's, there, there are more souls to reach for Christ. There's more work to do. Let us be in a place where we can help and not hinder. Let us not promote the fear-mongering that's going on. Let us trust Christ and teach others to trust Him, to rest in His care. And if you are walking with the Lord, and if you're close to Him, then, friend, the Father sees. Fear not, you're of more value. Then many sparrows, God's going to take care of you until your appointment and your number is called. I think in the Middle Ages, you know, I've even heard the word bubonic plague thrown around in the past few days. What in the world? <laughs> We've got thousands, you know, compared to what were the numbers in the bubonic plague? I mean, for crying out loud, this is this is craziness. It's just craziness. But this is the kind of fear that it promotes. And are we going to fear monger? Jesus says, there's something you can have in your life that's enough. And this is my heart. This is my prayer. Lord, let it be enough for me to be content 
to not try to rise above. Now, I do need to set the fear in context, lest we think Jesus is talking about going in the face of diseases and different things. Now, I will say this, in the immediate context, did he not give his disciples power to cleanse and heal? So this means they're going to be walking in their course of ministry and come face to face in direct contact with someone who is outside the camp living in leprosy, living in in illness and disease, and this minister of the gospel is going to go in Jesus' name and actually touch them, and actually lay hands on them and heal them. Now, I'm not telling you to go around and be crazy, okay? Don't misunderstand me. They had a special gift because Jesus was watching over them for them to minister. And in all seriousness, we have a gift. If you're saved, you're called. God has given you a gift. Right now, you need to be using it more than ever. Whatever that gift is. Now, it's different from uh, their, their sign gifts because you're not, you're not here to validate a, a message to Israel. You are here to validate the truth of the Word of God. And that will, back, that will be backed up by how you live but you can help others find peace through Christ. But as his disciples go forward, I don't think disease was what they were going to be afraid of more than what Jesus addressed here. There's something even worse that will debilitate you. Some of you have lived through it in this room because I've shared coffee and we've had stories and, and I know I know where you, you, you've shared with me where you've walked. My family has gone through a similar thing. I could give you stories even from a personal nature, but I'm going to let the Bible speak. You see, these men have been ministering in Galilee. This is where they live. This is where their, their work is. This, is. this is their place of occupation. Uh, this is the place where they grew up. Everybody knows everybody. It's small town ministry. Everybody knows who they are. And they're going to go out and they're going to give a message that Jesus is the one that should come. And they're going to preach this message. And then they're going to try to go home at night. And their own family is going to chew them up and spit them out. The ones that should be encouraging them to serve God. The ones that should be behind them in doing what they're doing for Jesus. Are going to be the very ones that will turn them over because of their own fears. You see how fear drives so much? If we operate by fear, a wrong fear, then we will wind up in turmoil. We will wind up without peace. So as we think about what Jesus is saying here, the right kind of fear that we should have is to fear God. Because He's the one that, um, not just power to destroy the body, but He has power to destroy both body and soul in hell, in Gehenna. That is the one that we fear. As disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a message to bear to a lost and dying world. But fear will keep you from even speaking about Jesus. You can deny Jesus. You can deny Him by what you say. You can deny Him by what you don't say. 
You can deny him by what you do. You can also deny him by what you do not do. And ultimately, it will all be ironed out before his judgment seat, whether you denied him, whether you refused him in certain circumstances and scenarios, because you had more of the fear of man upon you than the fear of God. Proverbs says the fear of man bringeth a snare. And as we think about this passage, let me just give you my summary of it, and maybe it'll help you see what I think is the heart of what Jesus is telling not only his disciples in this day that he speaks these words, but also us here today. If we are going to understand the meaning of discipleship, true discipleship, following the Lord, then number one, you will have to master your fears. And secondly, you will have to maintain your focus. Those are the two major thoughts that I see permeating the verses that we read, verses 24 to 39. In verses 24 to 33, we look at how Jesus teaches his followers that if they are to follow him, they must master their fears. If you don't get the best of a proper fear, then it will get the best of you. And we are seeing that firsthand all around us. I need not an illustration because it's a living sermon everywhere you look. Fear not, Jesus says. Okay, Lord, what am I not to fear? Don't fear what the enemy may say and don't fear what the enemy may do. You don't need to worry about what they're going to say when you stand up for Christ. You don't need to worry about what they're going to do to you or could do to you when you stand up for Christ. You just stand. You trust God. Fear not what the enemy may say. In verse 24, he teaches them to maintain rank. In a military operation, it always brings trouble when someone steps out of rank, doesn't it? There's a chain of command and authority. Uh, it, It comes in roles and the general gives the orders to the one under and so forth and so on down to the down to the private. And there is a chain of command. But when a private starts acting like a general, we got trouble, right? Jesus is saying the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Look at the parallelism. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. Well, there's the word master again. And the servant as his Lord. Uh, the, the idea of the Lord there has the aspect of the teacher, okay? So the, the pupil and the teacher. This is happening in our public school systems where the students uh, know more than the teachers do. The teachers are there to learn as they observe the students. and It flips the whole educational system on its head. I'm all for observing and learning how to be better teachers and all that, but there comes a time for instruction, and, um, and uh, we've got to maintain ranks, yeah, I can tell. You, I can show you examples of classrooms that didn't maintain ranks, and the students got one up on the teacher, and now there's no control in the classroom, and and there's no chance of classroom discipline. Okay, I can give you more illustrations. We've used military illustrations. We've used educational illustrations. But here, Jesus says the disciple is not above his master. We're talking about following in his footsteps. Dare we think that we can go down this road and what happened to him not happen to us? The moment you think that you're exempt from that is the moment you think wrong. Because there is a world 
that disdains the preaching of the cross because it's to them that perish foolishness. You're not above Jesus. If he walked this path, now sometimes we can live for him and, and it's minimal depending on the time and the culture. If we could preach, you know, a generation or two ago, uh, I even heard testimony this week that back in those days, almost everybody was a Christian. And if you were of a different uh, different persuasion, then you were you did things in the darkness rather than in the light. But now everything is is uh, come to the light. Men love darkness rather than light. We're to maintain ranks, verse twenty four. We are to reach for advancement, verse twenty five. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. Just be content to say, "I want to be like Jesus." The servant as his Lord. So we're striving to be more like him. You see, I'm not any better than him. I shouldn't expect any different than what he got. But at the same time, in the same token, I should be striving to grow to be more like him every day that I follow him. Amen? Are you reaching for that still? Or have you said, I'm just going to kind of coast now. I think I've learned enough. I think I've gotten to the place where I'm good to go. No, always reach to be more like Jesus, to learn more of him. He invites us to come learn more of him. And then as you go, you need to expect opposition. In verse 26, he says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? I love the way Jesus words that. Don't miss this. Because in just a moment, he's going to talk about fathers being against their sons and mothers being against their daughters. He's talking about the nuclear home, the nuclear family. But do you see his words here? Of whose house do you belong? If you are in Jesus' household, he's the head of the house, then you're going to get it too. But aren't you thankful that I mean, I don't know about you, but that just brings me comfort to know that I'm part of his household. That even when the world might turn their back on me and leave me because I said I want to follow Jesus, I got a place to call home. I got a place to call home. And it's with Jesus, and it's with others that follow him and live for him as well. We need to expect opposition. He says, fear them not, therefore... If you read through this passage, maybe just underline that. Every time he says, fear them not, or fear not, therefore, see how many times he says, fear not, through these words. We don't fear what the enemy may say. Don't fear what the enemy may do. Verse 27 to 33, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. What ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. What are we to do? Not fear what the enemy may do. No. You, you see, as you dwell with Jesus, as you abide with him, you're going to be privy to some secret things of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to whisper some things in your ear. And when you dwell with me in my household, we know there's opposition coming. But I'm going to let you in on some things. And what I share with you, you go out and you preach boldly. You preach boldly. Boldly. Now, we're not talking about casting your pearls before swine. He already covered that in the so-called Sermon on the Mount. Preach boldly, verse 27. Fear God, not man, because the fear of man brings a snare, verse 28. And can you follow him 
with a proper respect for the recompense of his reward. Verse 28, there will be a reward if you will preach boldly that which Jesus shows you in his word. But you've got to be close enough to him to get it, to hear it in the ear, to be able to go out and preach it boldly to a lost and dying world. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The word hell here is from Gehenna. And as I traveled to Israel, I got to see the place where this would be, right outside of Israel, right outside the temple area. There was a valley, where uh, the Valley of Gehenna. That's where we get Gehenna from. It's a place where they would throw all the refuse out of the city, the garbage dump, if you will, and it would burn with fire, and they would consume all that trash. It is a picture of what God will one day do with all the garbage and the refuse and the sin of this world. It's going to burn forever in a place called the lake of fire. And hell is real. And Jesus says, these people have no power to put you in hell. You don't need to fear them. They can hurt your body, but you don't need to be afraid of what they might do even to your body because uh, because your, your soul is eternally safe with God. No matter what comes. All throughout the corridors of church history, how many have stood? I mean, we can talk about John Knox. We could talk about those that, uh, that uh, was it, um, who was it that came into the court of Henry the, I'm going to miss this one in the history, I, I keep my history book back out. Was it Henry the Eighth, uh, perhaps? Uh, was it, who was it that came before him and they said, uh, they said, you better watch what you say, the king is here. And his reply in essence was, uh, I better watch what I say because the king of kings is here. I better watch what I don't say. You know, am I going to be able to speak boldly before the earthly authority, mindful of the of, of the creator? I better be careful what I don't say. I better make sure I say everything he wants me to say and not cower in fear of one that can say off with his head or burn him at the stake. John Wycliffe uh, burned, you know, they he died and 40 years later they dug his bones up and burned them. We don't fear what they can do to the body. We stand on the on the truth of the word of God, knowing that it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And I want to stand before him with a clear conscience. And so what Jesus shares, we preach boldly. We fear God. We don't fear men. Verse 28, we respect his reward. Now we're getting to the heart of really what Jesus, I think, is driving home in verses 29 to 33. He gives this illustration of sparrows. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? You know what a farthing is? Anybody? All right, I want to make sure you got your thinking cap on. An eighth of a penny. <laughs> two for a dollar, but I won't get one free. A farthing. Okay, from what I can study, I, don't, I didn't know what a farthing was either, because I don't go around spending farthings. Not anymore. <laughs> I don't even know what a farthing is. A farthing... I don't even know what a penny's worth today. A penny's not even worth a penny anymore, is it? So how, how do I illustrate this? How do I get to where Jesus, uh, get to what Jesus is saying so that I can understand it? Well, if you take a penny, yeah, a penny, a penny. That's probably not even worth a penny anymore. And cut it into four. And take one. That's a farthing. It's not even a half penny. Some said it was a half penny. It's not even a half penny. It's a quarter a penny, a farthing. Hey, you can get two of these sparrows for that. 
In fact, if you if you uh, had a half of a farthing, you know, you get four of them, they just throw another one in. You get five for half, for, for uh, two farthings. You get, you get five birds instead of four. Man, that's a deal. Okay, where do we see these birds, these sparrows? There's they're, they're the family of birds. They're used uh, in, in Leviticus and in the law. These are the birds that uh, the poor people would eat. The poorest of the poor. Jesus says, two sparrows, you can get two of those for a farthing. And yet, out of those two, one of them will fall to the ground. But guess what? God cares. God sees. Even that eighth of a penny. An eighth of a penny. God sees that. His words are powerful. Because of God's watch care. Verses 29 and 30, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are on them. Does anybody know the average count of the hairs on somebody's head? It's got to be in the thousands. I don't even know. How would you sit down and count that? But do you see your worth? He says, fear ye not, therefore. And I love how he says this. Ye are of more value than not just one-eighth of a penny. How many ever sparrows you want to add up? You can get a, whole, get a whole truckload of them, for that matter. Many sparrows. You're worth more than all the sparrows that we can bring into the marketplace. You're worth more. God is watching over you. You don't need to fear you are worth something to him. You have value in his eyes. Surely he sees, and your witness matters. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying. Fear ye not. If you want to circle a verse that is the center thought, that all of, all of what he's saying here orbits around, it's this thought. Read that loud with me, verse 31. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God's in control. And you are of more value. Do you realize how precious you are to Him? This, friend, will help you maintain your focus because you've learned how to manage your fears. You'll be able to maintain focus on your mission that God has given you to do because you'll be able to keep the right mindset, verses 34 to 36, and you'll be focused on the main mission, verses 37 to 39. You'll have the right mindset regarding why Christ came. He had a mission to do. You'll have a right mindset regarding the offense that comes from preaching the cross. That's verse 34, the latter part of it. You'll have the right mindset regarding the division that comes as we stand up and preach Christ. It divides families. It divides fathers and sons. It divides mothers and daughters, especially in this day and time when the nuclear family was everything. And you have this family that says, I can't, I can't even endorse what my son is saying now because he's preaching this Jesus and I'm going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Well, turn him in. That's the day in which they live. And they're going to have to, to, take, to take a stand. We could use modern, modern day illustrations, but Christ brings divisiveness. It brings division because there are those that will receive and those that will reject. And the sword comes to divide. By the, by the way, uh, the sword, the idea of the sword there is where we get our, our English word dichotomy from. 
You make a dichotomy. It's the same Greek word, the root. You study the etymology. But as we stay focused on the mission, you've been kind to, to hang on with me this far. Let me give you this to close. What is staying focused on this mission? Verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. I'm emphasizing what you need to what you need to see. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. When you keep focused on the mission, because you're maintaining your focus, you have the right mindset, you're going to learn that there is a love worth giving for. True love. As you follow Christ, you'll learn what that real love is. If you're going to love things of this earth more than Him, you're not worthy. You're going to learn, not only is there a love worth giving for, there is a labor worth dying for. You will yearn to take up your cross. Cross means death. Certain death. How many, how many Galileans were crucified at, at the hands of the Romans in the days of, of Christ? <laughs> they knew what Jesus was talking about when He said, you've got to take this cross. It's the most gruesome way that a person can die. And a cross... Lest we misunderstand it, the cross is not something that just happens to you that, you know, I think many times people call everything under the sun a cross when it's not really a cross because it happened to them. A cross is something you decide that you will pick up and you will take. It's not something that happens passively to you. It's something actively that you decide, I will bear this, and it's not for me, it's not for anyone else. I will bear this, and it will be for him. What does that cross look like? Will you carry that for him? The cross of ridicule, the cross of shame, the cross of, of division in your family, the cross of, of the world turning their back on you and everyone forsaking you, and yet you take a stand for Christ and you preach boldly and witness boldly for him. There's a love worth giving for. There's a labor worth dying for. And through it all, we come to the end and we find there's a life worth looking for. Are you looking for that life, because you stay focused on the mission that God's called you to do. You have the right mindset about why Jesus came and what that means. And you've mitigated your fear. You've managed your fear by focusing on the Lord. Can you stay focused? Do you know what that life is? Notice it's that oxymoron. He says, hey, if you uh, find your life, guess what? You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. How do you find your life in the context that is by avoiding that cross? You go, you go the way of materialism and you say, if I take this cross, then I'm going to have to say goodbye to these things. I'm going to cling to my material possessions and say, I'm going to cling to this life. You'll lose that because it'll go away. It doesn't last for But if you will lose your life, that is taking that cross, dying to self and being willing to bear that, if you will lose your life for his sake, guess what? There's a reward at the end of the journey. That thieves can't steal, rust can't destroy. There's a crown that waits for you. Five crowns described in the New Testament. Which one? Which ones will be worthy with your name that you'll be able to lay down in the feet of Christ? What's the meaning of discipleship? Die yourself. Be willing to stand when others won't. And having done all, stand.
Stay focused on the mission. Keep the right mindset. Maintain your focus. Don't, don't worry about what they might say. Don't worry about what they might do when they reject your message. You just follow Jesus. And remember, your Heavenly Father sees everything that goes on. And you are of more value than many sparrows.